My name is Jeffrey Sidoris, and this is Process Driven. There's something about wet plate photography that I just can't get out of my head. Maybe it's the process. Maybe it's the unpredictable nature of it. Sally Mann calls it the angel of uncertainty. Or maybe it's the permanence of the objects themselves. When you look at a plate by Matthew Brady or Timothy O'Sullivan, for a moment you're no longer part of the present. And I would argue that that sense of timelessness is one of the reasons a handful of modern photographers still choose to embrace the 170-year-old process. In 2018, there was a Sally Mann show at the National Gallery called A Thousand Crossings. It is by far my favorite show that I've seen since I've been in D.C. In fact, I went back to see it about a half dozen times. And while I love her entire body of work, it was the wet plate work, both the plates and the prints, that I found myself gravitating to the most. Far from the pristine, edge-to-edge sharpness of modern photos, they exude life, inexorably binding them to the maker. A couple weeks ago, I got an email from Shane Balkowicz, a wet plate photographer from Bismarck, North Dakota, who began shooting wet plate after seeing a plate of a motorcycle. Something about it refused to let go, and he reached out to the photographer to ask about the image and the process behind it. Forty-five days later, he made his first plate, an image of his brother. That was 2012. Today, more than 3,500 plates later, Shane's work is in collections including the State Historical Society of North Dakota and the National Portrait Gallery. His ongoing project photographing Native Americans and helping to preserve their culture has earned him the name Shadowcatcher. Here's my conversation with Shane Balkowicz. Please listen carefully. And there's so many photographers I run into nowadays that never print any of their work. Yeah. And I just, like, I don't, I can't get to them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't, I can't, I can't understand. I mean, what is the point? I mean, you can't even consider, you know, putting something on Facebook or Instagram or something. That's not, that's not uh, showing the work. If that's the end game, boy, it's just, photography would be in a sad state of affairs. Yeah. You know, one of the things that kept coming up for me watching your movie, and I, I want to get into that more, but a couple things really stuck out. And and one of them is just, and I touched on it a minute ago, your generosity, the the amount that you value other people's time and view almost every interaction as a collaboration is is such an incredible quality to have. Has that always been you? Have you always been that generous and and that trusting with your time and with your energy? I've been accused of being too generous before. Yeah. And I said, well, whoever says that I'm too generous, can they please stand up at the pulpit when I'm dead and say that? <laughs> right. Because what more could you ask for? Right. I mean, how how could that ever be a negative? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you you give too much or you you did too much. You're, you're like, what are you talking about? I mean – so the collaboration is, I think, comes from um, the love of collaboration comes from the fact that I when I started this, I really didn't know what I was doing. Right. So I was always looking for other inspiration. And then I we started doing these large collaborations. I just did a post of the next July's big, large collaboration. And um, we're going to be addressing the plague and the coronavirus um, based off a 500 year old painting. Wow. And you and I are already collaborating this week, met with the director 
um, met with my carpenter, met with my seamstress. I mean, we got the game plan of where we even think we got a location. So, but everyone brings something. So you never like when people come in, even if they're not artists per se, like, you know, I love it when photographers come into my studio, but when just anyone comes in, just a sitter, it's always the fun collaborating because you get different people's perspectives. And right. then if they can contribute just anything, just any, like just going up and, oh, can you just tweak her hat a little bit or, you know what I mean, adjust her shirt or, you know what I mean, anything, if they can contribute anything, then they're involved. And then, then it's not just about my work and everything. And, and then maybe they look at that image and think, oh, I, you know, I was part of that image that Shane gave me leeway to, to put, give some input. I made some changes and um, maybe it worked, maybe it didn't, but Shane at least trusted me. So the, the collaboration thing and, 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 you know, it's really instilled in me with my Native American friends, you know, it's a collaboration when they come in here. So I always like to collaborate. It's, it's something that, you know, I don't ever, Oh, just sit down and shut up and let me take your portrait. I, you know, I've got this or, um, that's never the case. And it doesn't matter who's in, I mean, I'll collaborate with my, you know, my nine-year-old daughter who, you know, will get propped, help me with props and take a magic marker and do certain things on props and stuff for me. It's always about collaboration. And, and when she sees that image, she can see that, oh, yeah, I did that. And that little piece, no matter how small it is, I was able to help dad. Mm -hmm. Where does the trust come in? Because you mentioned these Native American portraits. There, There is such an incredible amount of trust that they have to have in you because you're representing them. And if they don't know you, that could go awry really quickly be, because of our history with Native Americans, right? So, well, absolutely. yeah. How how does how do you instill that trust on a first meeting that doesn't maybe come off of word of mouth, or does it all come off of word of mouth? So that your your sort of level of trust and 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 that grows as this project increases. Well, I never knew. I, I kind of fell into this Native American series, Northern Plains Native Americans of Modern Wet Plate Perspective is that book that you have. And there will be four books eventually. So mm -hmm. one book every 250 plates. So the end goal over 20 years is 1,000 Native American portraits. So my first Native American portrait ever was of Ernie LaPointe, the great grandest son of Sitting Bull. Right. So I was learning about Orlando Scott Goff, um, a wet plate artist in Bismarck that took the very first ever photograph of Sitting Bull here in Bismarck, North Dakota, in the wet plate process. Um, I learned from the Smithsonian article that they had written about this gentleman called Ernie LaPointe in South Dakota, who um, they actually they wanted to give back some leggings and a tuft of hair, I believe, to the uh, ancestors of Sitting Bull. They thought they were private items that they should go back to the family. So in this quest, I, I believe the DNA tests and all of their due diligence took them seven years. Hmm. The entire time, Ernie LaPointe says, I'm the great-grandson of Sitting Bull. Um, he knew that, and he provided them information. And at the end of this seven or years or six years, or however many or every years it was, they came back to him and they said, yep, Ernie, you are the rightful person that we should be giving these back to. So when I found out that he was in South Dakota, I just looked up Ernie LaPointe in the phone book. And called him on the phone and he picked up on like the second ring. And I talked to him about Goff. He knew about Goff. And I said, I would just like to, um, you know, I would like to take your portrait. So he, within a week or two, he was up here and we, we started this friendship. And and uh, he started teaching me about the the, the different um, cultural aspects of being a Native American and the different beliefs and about the regalia and different uh, historical things and about food and language and all these things. And and it all started with him. So 
Um, it's all been word of mouth. So, uh, you know, then uh, Dakota Goodhouse was my second Native American portrait. And then after I captured Dakota Goodhouse, um, he knew that I captured Ernie. I thought I had this great idea or this this huge idea, I thought, of to capture 50 Native Americans. But how am I going to find 50 Native Americans that trust me? I don't I don't I only know two Native Americans at this point. And it was just the sharing of those photographs. And then one more person would come in. They'd share their experience with their friends and family. One more person would come in. So then quickly the 50 became to 100 and then I was going to go to 200. And then I threw it out on the gauntlet about five years ago and said I want to do a thousand Native American portraits, um, which wow. I knew well that was going to take me 15 to 20 years. I'm um, six years into this and I'm, I shot uh, plate 401 uh, last uh, the two Fridays ago. So um, it, it's been a lot of work. But uh you know, with the trust, um, you know, word of mouth, it's everything. I've never advertised for this. I mean, it's just, oh, I have a cousin, that kind of thing. And then and then when Calvin Grinnell, um, the Hidatsa elder, he called me on the phone. He knew I was uh, into this process pretty well. He'd been into my studio a couple of times. And uh, he called me on the phone and says, I have your name. I said, what are you talking about, Calvin? He says, well, I have your Native American name. Hmm. And I almost fell off the chair. Um, I get goosebumps just telling you this right now. He says, I'd like to come into your studio in about 10 days time and hold a formal ceremony and give you this name. So um, I had to get witnesses um, and we had to exchange gifts. We had food and he held this hour long ceremony in my studio. Um, you know, we wouldn't take any pictures or video or anything of this. And I was given the name and I'm destroying that name for any of my Native American friends. So they can shake their heads all they want, but that's, that's the best I have. So I am shadow catcher hmm. in the Hadatsa nation. At that point, things really just like cemented, like concrete cemented. I don't know how to, how to explain. This is like the largest honor of my life. Yeah. And, um, you know, people think about clubs, you know what I mean? Like you may be Knights of Columbus or and I don't I, you know, whatever clubs, you know what I mean? Like when, when I'm their brother, I'm actually their brother. So these these Native Americans, when they come in, meet my friends now and they come in as complete strangers. They're my brothers and sisters. And that's how they look at me. And I'll have someone walk through the door and give me a hug and, and, and welcome me as their brother. And they've never met me before, but they know me as shadow catcher. So it's uh, it's a huge honor um, to have that. I mean, that's not something that happens every day. I don't take that for granted. It was uh, it was given to me unexpectedly. Um, Calvin knew what I had been doing for the, the 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 culture for some time, and when these people come in now, they're my brothers and sisters, and um, it's 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 quite amazing. Hmm. So now, prior to to Ernie, was there? Was there an interest? Were, were you uh, a, a, a student of history? Uh, did you know much about the Native American cultures? Or was Ernie kind of the opening the floodgates to that, as it were? He was, yeah. yeah he was the yeah. star. So, yeah, I mean, obviously I, I knew, uh, you know, where I've lived here in Bismarck, North Dakota my entire life. I mean, we have Fort Abraham Lincoln across the river. We, You know, we have uh, the Mandan uh, nation has, you know, that's where they were at. And I knew about the Hadatsas just, just north of us. And I always loved history. And I was doing like, you know what I mean? Like I was just starting out and I was doing some like every once in a while I'd go over to Fort Abraham Lincoln and they'd have some people dressed up and reenactors and stuff like that. And I was doing that. And but, you know, as soon as I shot Ernie, as soon as Ernie came in and he explained to me this this realization that there's real history here, like Ernie LaPointe is real history here. You know what I mean? Like when Deb Hallen, the first, one of the first Native American congresswomen flies in from 
Washington, D.C. and had her portrait taken by me. There's real history there. You know, my portrait of Vander Holyfield, there's real history there. So why would I fabricate history when the and I have never shot a reenactment photograph ever again, ever since that visit of Ernie, because it just didn't make any sense to me. Right. Um, there's enough real history. And, you know, if you think about these plates and they're made out of silver and they're glass and they're going to be here hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years from now, when you make an object that that has that kind of permanence, you think about, well, how do I want people to remember? Um, That's the guy who, you know, captured the great grandson of Sitting Bull, just like Orlando Scott Goff did 135 years previous. I mean, so when 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 that obvious uh, that obviously dropped in my mentality um, I've never gone back. So I'm, I'm creating history. I, I, that's what I'm trying to do here. And, and that's why I'm trying to get different people from the community. You know, the the president from Bismarck State College has come out. I mean, Monsignor uh, Shea has come out from the church. I mean, um, I you know, I, I've done enough research to know that, you know, photographers back in the Victorian era, they shot the butcher, they shot the the banker, they shot the businessman, you know what I mean? The, the, the guy who, they shot the farmer. I mean, these are the things. And I'm just trying to get those people um, in my time to kind of show um, a plethora of who we are here. Right, 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 right. Tell me about those 45 days from the time that you had the conversation about wet plate until the day you made your first wet plate. That's a pretty short time frame to get up and running. Well, I didn't, I mean, you. Ha- I had to get a large format camera made, custom made to, you know, to order. And, you know, I didn't know what size. I, I mean, I just kind of landed on five by seven with four by five inserts. Um, I didn't know what an F-stop was. And I'm not, I'm not, uh, I'm not really, you know, I wear my my heart on my sleeve. I did not, I, I, I can honestly tell you, Jeffrey, and, and people may laugh and scoff at me at this, but I think I was making wet plates for at least six months before I even realized that I was using light. That it 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 I was chasing an image. Do you know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. as a non-photographer, um, I was chasing an image similar to like someone a canvas with a painter. You know what I mean? Like you really don't you really don't know what you got. And I was just chasing these images, and I don't know why I was chasing them, uh, but I would chase them. And um, you know, I had to get the camera. I didn't know what it, you know. I never I never stepped foot in a dark room. So here I had to make a dark room. I mean, I had to figure out. Well, what is what do we what is what is a dark room and what do I need? And I need my trays and I need my I know I need some glass containers of some sort. I'm sure to keep these different chemicals in. I, I didn't have no previous experience with photography. I had never seen anyone process film. Um, nothing, no experience. So where did this know. knowledge come from? Where did this experience come from? Was it trial and error? Was it internet? Was it friends? It, no, it was it was um, it was John Coffer's book. Mm-hmm. So John Coffer is out of New York, Upper New York. And he wrote a manual that's called the Doer's Guide. And he wrote a manual. He doesn't have a phone. He has no email and no computer or anything like that. And you send, I want to say it was $75 to John Coffer. And in about three weeks' time, a handwritten or typewritten, you can decide, manual will come to you. And you just start reading from page one. And it just romantically explains what it is you need to do the process. So I give John Coffer, he was my, um, he was my, um, my unknown mentor, mm-hmm. my mentor, not in, in that. I never, I've never met the man to this day. I've, I, he, he sends me letters all the time. We, I, he, he sends me a print every once in a while. I send him a print. So I have this relationship with this man and he knows what I'm doing here. And, but I've never met him. And so it was, it was John Coffer's book and then doing some YouTube videos 
And, um, you know, there's only about a thousand of us in the world that right. are presently doing this, actively doing this. And I want to say someone at one point said back in the 1980s, there was down, there was only six wet plate artists in the world that were known. Um, so, so what was it about wet plate? What was it about that image of the motorcycle that you went, yep, that's the thing that I need to chase right now? I have no freaking idea. Did I share the photograph? You saw the photograph of the motorcycle, Yeah, it's in the the film. Yeah, it's in the film, but you saw it briefly. If I, if I, I mean, there's nothing spectacular. I mean, there, there, there's nothing there that would have sparked that. Right. Yeah. I mean, no disrespect to the photographer, but it, it is, it is an unremarkable photograph. It's pretty unremarkable. And and he wasn't trying to make a remarkable photograph, just trying to capture this photograph with a couple of people standing behind this camp. I mean, this motorcycle. Um, so, so what uh, was it? Um, you know, he was just sharing some plate that he did. It wasn't anything. Um, you know, it wasn't like this, you know, I would think like this beautiful nude or something. You know what I mean? Like you're trying to figure out how, how are you going to get these kind of romantic feeling? You know what I mean? Like you see this this nude or something like you're just like not in love with the woman, but you're in love with the, the way that she looks and the light. And you know what I mean? But I didn't have any I didn't know what a good photograph from a bad photograph was at that moment either. So I didn't even have that point of reference. Do you know what I mean? Like I never was a student of, oh, I've always loved prints and I've always, you know, I've always known about Adsel Adams and I always knew about you right. know, Man Ray and I always knew about, I didn't know about any of that. None of it. I had no interest. But yet something grabbed you, something grabbed you and wouldn't let go with that image. It was like, I was always meant to do this. And yeah. It wasn't like I knew that when it grabbed me, but I knew that shortly starting like shortly after. And it was, a, and you've you got to remember, I, I was working in the uh, a corner warehouse. Right. And um, it was like, it's like 4,000 square feet back there. I had like one of the largest dark rooms in the world because I mean, I'd have my little red lights set up in the corner and my employees who were packing boxes were actually had to wear little red lamps on their heads on Fridays when I was creating. It was crazy. And the, the FedEx man would come and I'd say, don't open the door. You're going to expose my plate. I mean, it was it was bizarre. I had no separate dark room. That's the first thing about my other studio as well. There was no separate dark room. So there was no wall between me and my sitter. So my sitter would have to go into the dark right before their exposure while I'm loading the plate and the, the room is red and, and I would load it in and I'd turn the lights on it or blind them. Their eyes would water. I mean, it was a, but I was able to create and that, that's all that matters. And that's, that's the message I like to get to the students when they come out is it doesn't matter how you get there, just get there. Was that inconvenient compared to my new natural light studio with a separate dark room? Yeah, obviously nobody would normally think that, Oh, um, you can actually make wet plates without a, a you know, a dark room. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can, you can have your dark room be your studio at the same time. And, but it, but it worked and that's, that's all that matters. So, um, so what was, was what was the response then to that first photograph of your brother? Oh, it was just, just elation. Yeah. Like, cause I wasn't expecting anything. Really? And I've helped. I, and, and I've helped enough photographers. I, I run, uh, Friends of Frederick Scott Archer, who's the man who invented um, wet plate, by the way, in 1851 was when he wrote about it for the first time, started about 1848. But he, by 1851, he had put um, put words down in 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 a journal um, called The Chemist. And he described this process. And I have those words. And and um, I didn't expect to get an image. And when the image came and the image is within three feet of me right here, as I talk to you. Um, my first ever wet plate. I, I numbered it plate number one, and I've numbered every plate since then. So when I take my plates, when I take plates on Friday, um, 3,000, 
3,554 will be the next plate that I've taken. So that's how many plates, 3,554. I, I love that I can hear you walk over to check the number, by the oh, way. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's not good for you. No, it's great. Right? No, it's great. It's great. So 3,554 plates since October 4, 2012. All right. So 3,554 plates, three, five, five, four. I'm going to write this down because- That'll be my next plate. So yeah. let's not get ahead All right. Of so we're, we're, we're 3,553. Plates. Are you a photographer yet? That's a good, that's, that's a good question. Um, and, and if not, a sub question, if not, what has to happen? What has to line up? What has to be in place for you to identify what you're doing enough to, not enough, but that's the wrong word, but to, to, to call yourself a photographer, because I do love that you call yourself an ambrotypist because it gets people thinking about, wait a minute, what is, what does that mean? What does that mean? What is that? Eternal impression. Right. What is that? But was there, was there ever, by not calling yourself a photographer, was there ever a concern that you may be limiting your audience or was audience not a concern because what you're doing is so bespoke in nature? Well, I was going back to my little, and I'll get to your, your answer, your question. Um, going back, I was just doing this for myself in that, in that warehouse. So I wasn't mm -hmm. doing it for mm -hmm. anyone else. I had, I had no, I had no thought that someone else would ever be interested in what I'm doing in that corner. Yeah. I mean, I, my first sitters are my cousins and my mom and my brother. And I mean, my, my kids, I mean, my wife, I mean, these are my first sitters and, and a couple of people that I knew. So I was, there was never that game plan as, Oh, I'm going to share this with the world and people are going to be interested in what I have to do, what I'm doing. There were, there was none of that. So that, that, did, that did not exist. Mm -hmm. I did not call myself a photographer. And I, I, I do call myself a photographer now. Mm -hmm. Um, that's after much delays and many arguments with many photographers and photographers that have been um, Herb Osherman um, Jr. from Chicago, who's been a photographer for, for 60 years. Um, you know, I would I would say I'm a non photographer. And and at one point, and I don't know what point that was. It wasn't probably early on because everyone could say, yeah, you are. No, you aren't a fucking photographer. Shane, look at these images. You're right, making. right, 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 right. Um, <laughs> And I don't know, Jeffrey, if it's okay if I swear on the podcast or not. hundred percent. Be okay. you. You be you. I, I tend to swear. And um, um, so so I said I'm, I'm a non-photographer. And then my, my images started, you know, people started following them and following my work. And then the, uh, some photographers. Um, and I only take advice from photographers I respect. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll take advice from anyone, but, you know, or even like some critiques or criticism. I'll take it from someone whose work I respect because, you know, I respect their work. Right. Um, but everyone's got an opinion on everything. Right. And, um, and and the Internet has a way of assuming that if you post something, it's their responsibility to call you out for one reason or another. Well, there's, they become an expert. on. I've had people critique my work who's never made a wet plate. Right. Yeah, I don't you know, how do you. You, you, how, how's that possible? So I called myself a non-photographer and then these photographers came and it was arguments. Like it was Shane, you're, a, they would, I would post an image and the next thing, the first line would say, Shane, you're a photographer. You need to acknowledge it. Shane, you're a photographer. You need to acknowledge this. I'm telling you, you're still telling yourself you're not a photographer. And I just was getting barraged and beat up by this. And it wasn't, I got to share. It's not like, Oh, Shane thinks he's better than photographers. Understand? Right, right, right. right. Okay. I, it feels to me, if I'm being, if I can make an assumption real quick, sure, Jeff. It, it feels to me like you felt you had to earn that. I don't believe that I came up the ranks. Like I, I, I knew photographers 
And I knew I wasn't that. Right. Or I knew that they knew they had they had information or knowledge or technique that I did not possess because I'm sitting here trying fumbling along as I go. Right. I did not want to insult photographers by calling myself a photographer, if that makes sense. Yeah. That's my only reason. Until Um, you felt you had earned your way into that that sort of ranks uh, or, or until I had enough seasoned sure. 20, 30 year photographers come into my studio and they, 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 it's like they had an agenda. Like I have to talk to Shane about yet. Shane, you have to acknowledge your photographer. Like they were asking me into their ranks, right? Like they, they wanted to say, Shane, you, I'm here. I'm come, I'm, I'm here. You respect me. We're friends now. Um, I've seen your work. You've seen my work. Um, we've created together. Now I've got to tell you something. You've got to stop calling yourself a non-photographer. So what was the turning point? Where was was the break point? I don't remember. You don't remember? Because it was turmoil. You know what I mean? It was like, (laughs) um, and it wasn't like I did a post. I've I've declared today I'm a photographer. Right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, Check my new business cards. They now say photographer. You know what I mean? It's like, how did I get myself into this position in the first place of defending me not being a photographer? Right. But it was a a thing. So, yes, I am a photographer. Um, um, I I, I can see, but I should say, the caveat to that is I should say I consider myself more of an image maker. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it's really beautiful about all of this. And, and, and the connection when these photographers come in um, local or fly in from out of state or whatever to come see and spend the day, you know, the weekend with me in my studio is that photography really hasn't fucking changed much. Right. You know what I mean? Like, right. It's it's a universal it's a universal thing. It doesn't matter if you're doing digital. And and I, I, I should say this for your listeners, too. I, you know, if 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 you get me going down a path about me being staunch about analog versus digital or you feel like I'm beating up on digital or some other process, please don't take it that way. You're, you're talking to an analog photographer that knows nothing else. And I think that's what you want to hear is my take on that. I have to give you me. Sure. And me, 100 percent is analog now. You know, I'm not putting down digital. I'm not. I'm not. I, yeah. I, you know, I, I've been accused of that before, and um, I've got so many fabulous digital photography friends. I don't. I'm not putting down digital, but I think I. You know, especially when the students come in, I have to give you my slant. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that has come out. It's born of your experience, right? Yeah. If if you are making digital images, let me do you a, a favor. Print it off. For the love of God, yeah. do not keep your images. And you can't imagine how many photographers have come into my studio and they don't print their work. And I'm saying your work is a bunch of zeros and ones on a hard drive somewhere that has no fucking chance to get into the future. You're going to have the, the the JPEGs and the TIFFs are going to be obsolete formats. You're not going to be able to uh, convert them. And even if you do, you'd have to be an expert. And are you going to do that? So if you're not printing this shit off and putting it in a shoebox or in some sleeve somewhere for your family to <laughs> right. on, right. it has no chance of being here 50 years from now. Right. And people get offended by that. They'll say, oh, what about the cloud? And I'm like, what about the cloud? Do you know that I had 4,800 images on my iPhone that was going to the iPhone, uh, the Apple cloud, which one is the most um, trustworthy clouds in the world, right? And they're poof, gone. Yeah. On the phone with Apple. Oh, there's nothing. We don't know. We don't know what happened. But the cloud is nothing more than someone else's heart. It's even worse than your own hard drive because the cloud is someone's hard drive that you don't even know. Right, 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 right. You know, it's in some freaking warehouse or some kind of data center. Like, I don't even know where my fucking images exist. Where do they fit? Where are my zeros and ones? 
physically located. Right. And it's like, oh, we don't – well, you don't need to know that. I mean, what do you mean I don't need to know that? So the cloud, you know, people <laughs> say, oh, just throw it to the cloud. And I talk to archivists monthly my, my, at the historical side in North Dakota. They go to seminars and they're getting for the first time, and I've said this before, emails and, and JPEGs and all these things. They have no idea how to get it 50 years in the future. Right. I had an Apple IIe computer, and I, I'll finish on this. Um, I got an Apple IIe computer in 1981. Yep. Around 1986, my father came to me, and he was a he thought of himself as a poet. Um, and so he gave me, handed me a whole bunch of his poetry. And he said, can you put this in your word processor and save it on a disk for me? I said, sure, dad. So I formatted, <laughs> saved all these. And you can imagine how simple, yeah. how simple the zeros and ones on a doc file was from in 1986. I mean, this isn't a complicated JPEG, right? This is, this is a, these are eight bytes to make the alphabet. You know what I mean? Like it's very simple. It was, it was the simplest of word processors. One of the first word processing documents ever created by man. And I, I did this and I handed in that five and a quarter. My dad passes away. I inherit this five and a quarter inch disc. We don't have... <laughs> His words on paper. So what do I do? I send the disc off to a world-class expert company with a $500 check. Here's a disc from 1985. It's a five and a quarter inch floppy. Right. Can you take this and get one of my dad's poems off of it? And about eight weeks later, the disc came back to me and the check came back to me. They couldn't do it. There's nothing they could do. They knew that there was data there, but there's nothing they could do. So we're talking just 1985 for the right, for the love right, of God. Right, right, right. We're not talking, you know, 2200. You know what I mean? Like, like my plates will be here in the year 2200, mm -hmm. 2300, 2400, right? I mean, if they're not broken, right. I mean, if they're sitting on a nice shelf and an acid free sleeve on its edge in a vault at the Heritage Center, which I've got over nearly 600 plates there. I have to say that they're probably going to be there. My dad's poems aren't there. So the point is don't trust the zeros and ones. Right. Did that affect any of this around this idea of legacy and longevity? Were, were you consciously, were you consciously thinking about art and legacy and longevity when all of this started formulating an idea as an idea in your head? It, it had to have been because why did I start labeling plate number one? Right. Like what? You know what I mean? Like, oh, you get, you're in two years into it. Oh, and maybe I'm going to stick with this shit. Right. Like maybe I'm going to stick. to. I'm going to I'm going to keep doing this for a little while. Right. Right. Well, let me start labeling my plates and come up with some kind of I, I why, why every plate has the plate number, has the date, has the subject, has my name, has Bismarck, North Dakota, because this is all the information that I want on all those antique 165 year old amber types that I find at on eBay or wherever. And I get them for, you know, five, ten dollars. I get this beautiful picture of a woman or a man. Doesn't matter. And I, and I sit there and I go, who is he? Right. And there's where's nothing. He, yeah. Where's he at? Yeah. When was this made? Who made it? I don't have shit. And I would think if I had that information, that that image would be more significant to me at that moment. And that's where the, the when you make something that is going to last, I'm going to say forever. Um, you think about that. And some people don't care about that. I'm not knocking the people that, you know what I mean? Like they don't, you know, they don't, they don't care about leaving these things around. But I have the, the feeling that these things will go, uh, 
you know, they're going out there in the world and you know what I mean? Long after I'm gone, someone may appreciate them. Mm-hmm. They may not appreciate them. They may think the image stinks. doesn't matter. Right. At least, I mean, when do you have the opportunity to have your name mentioned 300 years from now? Yeah. 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 When? I mean, Abraham Lincoln has that opportunity. You know what I mean? Like there's, there's, there's people that have that opportunity, but surely not you and me. How, how does that longevity inform the subject matter? Are, are you, because I I can see both sides where you, where you do want to take these, these archival and, and legacy portraits of, as you mentioned earlier, the baker, the banker, the lawyer, the shopkeeper. Mm -hmm. But then there's this, this whole other side where you're making either social statements or commentary or political statements or commentary. And those two are going to last virtually forever. Does, does the, does the permanence of the medium or how does the permanence of the medium affect the subject matter that you take on? I think I have an obligation to the subject. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, I could make my, uh, you know, some people say, well, why don't you make your images on tin instead of this glass, this glass, it cost me $12 just in glass, each plate, right. each eight by 10 is just $12 of glass. Like if you could tell, you know, if I could fix the world of digital photography, not that it needs fixing, but for my, again, I'm talking about my analog perspective. If we could get rid of the, the glut of digital photographs, I would make everyone's iPhone cost them a buck to take right. a picture. Right. If we could do that. I think we would get a lot more earnest photographs and more sincere photographs, and then maybe people would even take care of them. But since photography doesn't cost you that $12 piece of glass, every image, failed image, successful image, doesn't matter. People just, it it has no value. So, you know, um, it wasn't always, I didn't didn't always, I mean, you have to understand, Jeffrey, what, what an honor it is to be able to take my work. So my, you know, at first at the Historical Society, um, they wanted my, my, the first plate ever was the pert plate of Bernie LaPointe. That was very significant for them. And then they started taking my, some of my other plates and, but they like of the mayor and stuff like that, Mike seminary and so forth. And, but then, then, um, it was like, well, Shane, we have to get every plate you want to give us cause it's expensive. And, you know, we have to, we have to accommodate for this. We want to, um, we want to, we need to approve it. So then, uh, Vander Holyfield walks, walks into my life out of chance and I take his portrait and my portrait goes to the Smithsonian Institute. Right. And the following week I get a letter from the historical society of North Dakota that said, and, and I just, and I'll never take this for granted. They said to us, Mr. Bulkwich, we want to let you know at, as of this point, we will take any of your work. Really? Really? That was the turning point. point. Wow. Then all of a sudden my, and I hope I'm trying to get back to your question. At that point I could get my artist pieces you know, the capsizing of humanity, mm-hmm. you know, murders, goats, liberty trudges through injustice, um, you know, POTUS, POTUS revealed, I mean, of President Trump. I mean, I could get those, those art pieces. Talk, talk a little bit about those. While... Anything, anything in, in there. And, and it's a huge honor. Mm-hmm. While we're, while we're kind of on that, where did the larger scale pieces come out of? Because you had been doing portraits up to this point, just single subject, yes? Yeah, 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 yeah. So where did these um, larger scale pieces come out of of the single subject portraits? I just started collaborating with different, when photographers were in, and the, and and I just enjoyed the collaboration process. So Murderer's Gulch was the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or um, you know, Orlando Scott Goff, I had done a, a portrait over at, I reenacted a portrait that he had taken of Custer and his family on the on the steps of Custer House. 
uh, which isn't even Custer House. The, the, the darn thing burned to the ground and they remade it some years ago, 25 years ago or whatever. They had asked me to come out and celebrate that. Um, and uh, I just, you know, I just saw history. So I, um, I found out about this murderer's gulch, that there was this alley in Bismarck, North Dakota, where the prostitutes hung out, where the bar was, where there was 14 documented, I want to say 14, 12 or 14 documented murders in Murder's Gulch. There was a newspaper article I read that, that you know, Deadwood was, Deadwood had nothing, this is what the, the Bismarck Tribune says, Deadwood has nothing on, on, on Murder's Gulch in Bismarck, North Dakota. So I started researching about this Murder's Gulch place, this seedy place, and I found it physically. I found the, I found the alley and it, you know, it's modern buildings now and there's a couple of older buildings there, but this place where the only time the law ever went into Murder's Gulch, do you know when that it was? Hmm. A private for General Custer went in and I think got in a fight or was killed in, in Murder's Gulch here in my hometown. So Custer's across the at Mandan is across the river and one of his privates gets into trouble. I don't know if he got killed or whatever. Or he was hurt or whatever. Custer sent the 7th Cavalry <laughs> into Murder's Gulch <laughs> to get the bad guy. I mean – I mean, if that doesn't ring fucking history with you, and there was some pushback when I wanted to do Murderer's Gulch because some of the, you know, um, some of the people said, well, we don't want Bismarck to be known for that. Too late. But too late. I mean, it's like, what do you mean we don't want him to be known? I mean, that is fucking fabulous history. Right. Seven, General Custer sends the 7th Cavalry into a little alley in Bismarck, North Dakota to to quash some, some badasses. I mean – isn't that cool? And there was there was a lady that um, her name was Slaughter. Um, that was uh, her last name was Slaughter, and she was a very famous uh, a lady. And she had documented all these murders and stuff that happened in this gulch. So that was my first large collaboration. So you know it was like eight people, eight 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 months. I mean, and about forty people got together, and we had to take over. And I couldn't go into the. I wanted to go into the real murderers gulch. But there was too many modern things there. Mm-hmm. So I found a, 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 an alley two blocks away that was perfect, even though it had some electrical transmitters and stuff that I, you know, I, we tried to cover up with sheets and stuff. Um, but I found that and it was uh, it was that experience. And it was just like, oh, we should do one of these once a year. So and then there's no budget. Um, and so, you know, I'm able to, uh, you know, bring this this to the community. So you have people making sets. We have costume designer, we have hair and makeup. So ladies from the salons would come in and do the hair and makeup. And it was just all a collaboration. None of us are getting paid anything. Squat. This is zero production. All these productions are zero money. And, but everyone kind of gives something. And then at the end, it's all about, I do these very, very expensive prints and I do these collaborator prints and they're all limited edition. I find out how many collaborators are where I do that many prints and everyone who participated. If you just gave me a one lady in one year gave me a barrel in for Murderer's Gulch. She gave me a barrel um, just to have in the scene. I was looking for a wood barrel and she gave it to me and um, her name's on the list. I mean, that was her collaboration. So, wow. you know, it's that, that kind of thing. You don't have to do anything huge in these collaborations. So that just kind of Murderer's Gulch just kind of kicked it off. And then that was the first mural that downtown took a mine. And, and it was really kind of a cool thing that, um, you know, the city kind of got around this whole fact that, and I, you know, Murderer's Gulch is there and students of art students will walk over there with their classes. And I got little kindergarten kids will go by there and people, there's a plaque that talks about Murderer's Gulch. There's a poem that one of a local poet wrote and that's on there and everyone's name is on this plaque. So everyone gets their recognition and it's just this wonderful community effort and it's for nothing more. 
than than to, to create. So um, we we missed it this year. We've been doing it every year. We missed it this year, um, uh, you know, with the pandemic and everything. But next year, July seventeenth, I want to say, which is Saturday, um, we will be doing um, we will be doing no vaccine for death. <laughs> and, nice. And, and it, it's essentially based <laughs> off a, a, a plague painting from five hundred years ago. And it essentially tells you, okay, so if the and, and the and Merrick, my director from the university, um, he teaches photography out there. He's my director because I get to let go on these days. Like I get to just do my camera work. It's really amazing. And Merrick's idea was, you know what I mean? Like if the coronavirus isn't going to kill you, just understand that we're all dying anyway. Right. And we're not being negative or dark, but it's like you you got to live. Right. 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 Like there's no vaccine for death. Right. So we're all sitting here worried about the coronavirus and I'm an oncology nurse, so I'm not downplaying this concern. It is a concern. I'm not downplaying it. Right. But we're just trying to give a different, not a different, but a different, yeah, a different skew on that whole concept is that, hey, you know what? The moment you're, as an oncology nurse, I can speak this way. The moment you're born, you're dying. Right. You already have the, the you already have the disease that's going to kill you. So what are you going to do with this 70, 80 years? Well, the, you know, there, there's there's also I keep coming back to the film because there's 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 such good stuff in it. This idea that w- what do you want people to know about you and your life? And I'd like to ask how or to what degree where you are, the city of Bismarck has affected your life, both personally and creatively. Would you be in a different spot creatively if not for Bismarck? How has that played into it? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I've had a lot of controversy as of late in Bismarck. So there's, um, <laughs> you know, there's, some stories of eggs, I think I remember reading. <laughs> in vandalism and uh, eggs on my kids' face, by the way. Yeah. In that Liberty Trudges Through Injustice. So they didn't just egg my Liberty Trudges Through Injustice. They actually threw eggs at um, Abby and Grayson's face. So they were the only people that had egg on their face. Um, when they when they vandalized that, and I lost the mural of Greta Thunberg in Fargo, um, I had to actually replace it, so the eggs destroyed that as well. So, um, but this is my hometown. So I'm born and raised here, mm-hmm. 1969, January 24th at Bismarck Hospital. So this is this is my home, and I'm very proud of being from North Dakota. I mean, when I I transplanted from you know I had one day after graduating from high school, I went to California for nearly a decade. But even when, when I was in California, I was always a North Dakotan. Mm-hmm. Just in, in, you know, 2,500 miles away from my, where I shouldn't be. Right. So at the age of 28, I moved back home and, and this is my home. So I raised, I got my kids here. I got my, started my family business here in 1998. Um, th- th- there's nobody, you know what I mean? Not that people are, but nobody like this controversy, nobody's chasing me out of this town. I mean, there's no, I mean, th- this is my home. So, um, being from here, uh, g- this is my message. And I, I think I can be, um, I can try to give as much as I can to my community and I do through my, you know, my donations. Um, I can try, you know, help out down at the, the, down at the tribes. I try to support every little local business and stuff like that. Um, but I can also, I think I can also be critical, um, that, you know, as someone from here, like if I was from New Mexico, I mean, what's your opinion? You know, you really can't have an opinion of North Dakota because you're from New Mexico. Well, I'm from North Dakota. So when I do see things like the Dakota Access Pipeline and such, and I'm down there uh, with my Native American friends um, supporting them, um, I I can have that view. And I I think it's an artist's uh, 
I did a post a couple weeks ago and, and I did, uh, you know, someone thought it was, um, it was political and they, they made this comment that, you, you know, photography should not be ever political. That's what this comment was. And, <laughs> Spoiler. And it, well, I mean, <laughs> Jesus. And, and it wasn't just like one, I'm going to say it, idiot saying right, this. Right. Um, it was, it was more than one person that thought that, you know, you shouldn't be posting your, um, your political nonsense, but in their perception, nonsense, whatever. And, and, um, here, and I, it wasn't like it was any verbal, it wasn't even verbal. Right. It was my image. And what was it? Was there a sense that you were appropriating some sort of cultural point of view or what, what, what was the controversy about just the well, fact that I you were there photographing? Revealed, when yeah. I did Poets Revealed and that was early on yeah. um, and he, he had just uh, waved through the Dakota Access Pipeline after my Native Americans had won that, that fight, um, I lost like 850 followers that day. Right. So um, people- After sharing that image. Yeah, like yeah, after yeah, sharing yeah. that image. And it was like, well, I don't, I could give two shits. Right. You know what I mean? Like, um, what do we, photography is meant to be political. Photographers have been using, I mean, they've been using their work forever to document from World War II. I mean, come on. I mean, this is, I mean, the, you know, um, all the travesties and all the injustices and all the things that uh, have happened in this world, the Vietnam War and, and you know, um, the riots and, I mean, photographers, uh, that, that, isn't that our job is to, and, and, and is it being political just to point your lens at something? Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Were, were you there with, and, and if this is too personal, you don't have to answer it, obviously, but were you there with a particular agenda or simply to document the event as you saw it unfold? At the Dakota Access Pipeline? Yes. I was there to support my friends. Yeah. So there, so I don't, I'm, I, I, you know, nobody's ever given me a press pass. Mm -hmm. Nobody's ever said I'm a photojournalist. I've never claimed to be a photojournalist. Okay. So, um, what I did have is I knew that there was some turmoil and, and at that time I was already into my series quite a bit. Okay. So I already had, and I was having native Americans and one young lady came in and lost her eye, um, Mm. was shot in the face. She came in and I took a picture of her with a patch over her eye. Um, and, uh, you know, they were getting hurt. Mm-hmm. Had you been given your name at this point? No, 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 no. I had not been given my name. Mm-hmm. So they were being hurt. And I knew that, Hey, I've got to go down there. Like, and I was asked to go down there by, by, by some of my friends. They said, um, you know, Shane, you should come down here and, 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 and point your camera at what you think you should point your camera at. Mm-hmm. And when I was down there, to be honest, it was, it was still kind of, there was none of the the, the water cannons in 20 degree weather, there's none of the tear gas going on there. You know, you, if you look at my plates and you can find them out there, uh, to go to ask the pipeline wet plates, you should be able to find me and use my last name. Um, you know, there's a picture of just the police standing shoulder to shoulder. Um, the, you know, there's one picture of me taking that wet plate and the police officer standing next to me as I'm taking a picture of, you know, the native American standing opposite of them. Right. I took a of a teepee and a canoe and um, it seemed but, to but, be a fairly calm scene when you were there it was a calm scene when i was yeah. there and, yeah. and then it got really out of hand and then um but i was i was looking like i was i, I had my feelers out for these these water protectors that made that i could see i the, the one gentleman that chained himself to that that tractor mm-hmm. um he came up um, you know what I mean? Like I got some chains. We did play a, a picture of him holding these chains in his hands. Um, so I was, I, at that point, you know, I captured my, my behind the scene images 
And then, but when I got back home, it was like, okay, I got to keep filtering these, these particular Native Americans through my studio because their story needs to be heard. And on any time that they came in, and there was quite a few of them um, on the back of the plate, whether or not they asked me or not, if I knew that they were involved in the Dakota Access Pipeline, I write, because I know, you know, again, history, right? I wrote in in big letters, no dapple, exclamation point. Hmm. And I didn't say Dakota Access Pipeline. I didn't do, you know, I want whoever finds these plates and these, you know, some of these plates are at the historical site in North Dakota. Right. Um, they're going to see that. And maybe, you know, 200 years from now, you're not going to, what does dapple mean? You know what right, I mean? So right. you're going to have to go look, what did dapple mean? And then, but all these plates say, I mean, it was just my little my little punch, right? You're know, like, I'm yeah. gonna leave. This, I'm gonna leave a little more history here, and I'm gonna, you know, this is so and so, no dapple, and it was just my saying, hey, this was a person that was down there on the front lines, um, and um, it was just my way of um, tipping my hat to them behind mm-hmm. the scenes. Mm-hmm. How did that event, if at all, uh, change your relationship to the Native American community there? Well, I was, you know, you, um, you, I understand, and it's always been this way, and I'll share it again. Is that this isn't my fight? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I'm, um, I'm a Caucasian man who's got pretty good resources, and I, I, granted, I, I had to work my way to get these resources, but um, I'm not. This isn't my fight. Like I can't put myself in their shoes. Do you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I can stand alongside them while they're in their shoes, um, but it's not my fight. Um, it's their fight. So I never want to tread over. I never want to pretend like I never want to steal the show from their fight. Does that make sense? Sure. Sure. Like, I, I, I can't tread on their fight. This is their fight because you know what, when they win, when they have wins and like when the coaxa pipeline was turned back, um, that was their win, not my win. You know what I mean? I was so excited for them. It was their win because I don't, Again, maybe it's like going back to that photographer thing. Like, I just don't, you know what I mean? Like, I I, I still have to understand my place here. I can be an advocate. Um, I can be a supporter. I can be a friend. Um, I can use my camera um, in ways uh, to support these friends. Because how can I continue on this path of this this 20-year journey of capturing Native American portraits and ask these people to come in to my studio if I wasn't there for them when they needed help? Right. It really does come back to this idea of trust and respect and collaboration, which seem to be the cornerstones of of everything you do creatively. But it wasn't a big game plan. It wasn't like I had arterial motives. I don't, no, no, no. I don't and I'm not and I'm not suggesting it was. It no, seems to be it seems to be sort of just the way you're wired in how you make your way through life. It doesn't seem to be uh planned or, or if I do this, then I'll get this. Or if I show this, then it, it does it just seems to be the way you're wired and it's beautiful. You never do something to get, I tell my children this, never do something and expect something in return. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm telling you, things come back, they come back and you never know when they're going to come back. You know what I mean? You never know when they're going to come back. I never would have captured that wet plate standing for us all of Greta Thunberg at Standing Rock a wet plate, a modern day wet plate that was viewed 2 million times on social media. Right. Um, That opportunity was given to me by Jen Jewett down at Standing Rock. As soon as I heard that, we knew that Greta was coming to North Dakota. I didn't know it was going to be Fargo. Where was she going? Mm -hmm. And then I found she's at Standing Rock. It was one phone call. And Jen had been here with her grandmother and you know, her family and she'd known me for years. So here's this relationship that, you know, five years into the future. And she says, Shane, let me make a call. 
And then you get a call back and saying, you, you know what I mean? I made the stupid remark of saying, just give me 15 minutes with Greta and I will get that iconic <laughs> How, photograph. How'd that go for you? <laughs> That's just stupid. What was I thinking? I mean, what a moron. He like, says you know he's not I mean? a like, photographer. You have, to, you have to raise the bar, right? It's like, okay, you got 15 minutes in a field with 165-year-old photographic process. Right. You have no time to take a test shot. Right. Yeah. And you get one crack at this. eight minutes are taken up by process alone. So have fun with those seven you've got left. Yeah. So and if I wouldn't have got that first portrait, <laughs> that close up, because I knew. So I, I knew that with, uh, you know, if we're talking about Greta, I knew, OK, so if I'm going to only get one portrait and that's the first thing out of their mouth when they saw me. Yeah. Is that we only have time for one picture. You, you don't understand how that just punches you in the gut as a website right. artist. Right. Because I know what I'm up against. And even as. You, you could say as polished or as seasoned I, as I am. And there's a lot more seasoned photography. I didn't have enough polish. Right, right, <laughs> to, right, right. To, to potentially pull this off. Like I, my skill set was not going to get this done. And, um, but then I said, okay, if I'm going to get, and I'm, these are conversations you have in your head the day, the night before, as I'm packing up my chemicals, I got to take my dark room with me. People, they mean your, your listeners may not understand that, that I have to have a dark room on hand. Um, we're standing in a field with, you know, it was 25 mile an hour winds. It was, you know, it was warm out that day. And, um, I'm in and I thought, okay, if I get one picture of Greta, it's got to be a close up, right? I can't get too far away from her because, you know, you may mistake her for not who she is. Right. Like it has, to, you know, I, I got to get that one, I got to get that one close up in your face portrait of Greta, if that's my only shot. So they said, we only have time for one portrait. So it's like, okay, what is my idea? Um, now, back up for a sec. What are you shooting on? Because I know people are really into gear photographers. So what, what are you shooting on size lens? Okay. Yep. Uh, Alessandro Ghibellini made in Italy, eight by 10 um, camera, fellows mm -hmm. camera is what, um, I've got two of them. Um, it was called, it was my first time out with red Molly two. So red Molly one, it has got red bellows and that's why I, I call her red Molly. And, um, but red Molly one, this camera was made about 10 miles away from the Ferrari factory wow. in Italy. So when I found that out, it was like, well, the bellows, he said, what color do you want the bellows? I said, well, Ferrari red. So <laughs> like there's <laughs> what, a choice. <laughs> what, like, like what, what a stupid question. You're 10 miles from Ferrari right. making my camera for me. And you asked me what color I want. So that's how, um, red Molly one got red bellows. And then, um, I had red Molly two, and this is the first time I'd ever taken her out in the field. So, uh, eight by 10 red Molly two. Um, and, and the only reason I got a red Molly two from, a, and didn't just continue with red Molly one, cause it occurred to me that, you know, when you have Deb Hallen, you have different people come in. What if something happens to my camera? Mm -hmm. Like what if it falls off the tripod or what right, if I break right. the ground? I, mean, I got to have a backup. I don't know, um, Shane, your, your tripod seems pretty sturdy. <laughs> oh yeah, it is. It is. But there, things can happen. So Red Molly Two was put into service as a backup to Red Molly One. Anyway, so I use a Carl Zeiss Tessar um, 300 millimeter lens um, in my studio, natural light, uh, northern facing light, windows fully open, f 4.5, always 4.5, wide open, and that's why your your listeners will see this shallow depth of field because I, I can't go to. 5.6 or something like that, because now there's 10 seconds of exposure is 20 seconds of right, exposure right. and 40 seconds of exposure. I mean, I'm not telling you guys anything, um, but these are things I didn't even understand when I first started. So, um, so, but outside, I want to say that day was um, F8, F8, three seconds. 
Carl Zeiss Tessar, 300 millimeter lens, Alessandro Ghibellini camera. Um, so I, I should. I In should Ferrari red. Can I, make, can I make this a little <laughs> bit more dramatic? Yes, please. As dramatic as you can. You're, you're asking me to make this a little bit more dramatic. So we already <laughs> fucking talked about you only got one chance, right? Or hold on. I'm going to so, gonna pipe in some dramatic undertone music so, here. For <laughs> so the day before, you got your 15 minutes with Greta, which is just, I asked for it. Right. Like, you don't need, like if I would have said, can I have an hour with Greta? I knew damn well that I wouldn't get it. Right. She just didn't have the time. So what do you have to do? You have to fucking lie. Like, I can do this in 15 minutes. Right. You tell yourself that. Well, let her accept, and then I'll really figure out how I'm going to solve this problem of what I just said. So you're going to meet Greta at 4.15 tomorrow. Okay? On the so field at, at Standing at, Rock. At Standing Rock. That's very important. Like, it's at, we are standing in Standing Rock. So essentially, we're not even standing in North Dakota anymore. Okay. And when I, and some of my Native American friends would say, like when I said there, you know, at, um, it was down, it's down at the um, Prairie Nights Casino. And I would say North Dakota. Mm -hmm, Right. mm -hmm. And, and they, and, and some people corrected me. It's not, that's not North Dakota. Greta was not standing in North Dakota. She was standing at Standing Rock Mm -hmm. and there's a difference. And I should have known better, but I do know better now. Do you understand that it's not part of North Dakota? Yes. Okay, so 4.15 tomorrow, you're going to get 15 minutes with Greta. So I pack it up. I'm getting, it took me about six hours to get everything ready. Because if you forget Fixer, if you, drop, <laughs> you have to have redundant bottles of Fixer. Right, because if right. you break a bottle or drop a bottle or something happens to that bottle, um, you lose it. You have to have double developer. Right. You have to have double silver nitrate baths. Because you, I mean, you know that Murphy is going to show up in force somewhere. You just, if you show up without, you know what I mean? Like, um, you, you miss one of these elements, you're right. standing there with your 15 minutes and you're, you know, it's like 55 miles down there. Like there's no chance of, I would lose my, my time. So there's this checklist that I have and, um, um, I will be going down to South Dakota on the 31st of this month in July, and I will be capturing dignity, which is the native American statue in South Dakota. Mm, mm-hmm. it's cha- cha- I think it's Chamberlain, um, South Dakota. And, you know, before you drive three hours down there, you better make sure everything's in your fucking truck, right? right? I mean, right, you better right. make sure everything's there. You, you know, um, you, there's certain things you can get away with. Oh, I forgot a tray. I can get away with that. There's other things you just absolutely can. Don't forget your lens. I mean, you're, you know what I mean? Like, don't forget your fil- plate holder. Right. I mean, these are things that if you, just don't do it. Don't do it because you're just, you're not doing nothing that day. So I'm thinking the night before packing up all my shit. Okay, I got everything. So I'm going to leave. I'm going to be with Garrett at four. I'm going to leave at 1215. We're going to leave at, we're going to, no, we're going to leave at 1130. So I get on the phone with Chad Nodlin. My, he's officially my digital photographer for my studio. So how, how badly can I not like digital photographers when I actually have a, <laughs> I have an official digital photographer, which is a, a title that he gets and he doesn't get paid shit. He gets paid in Cherry Manhattan every time he comes into my studio. So, but I, Sold. my studio, my, my analog studio has an official, an official digital photographer and yeah. Chad Nodlin. Well, and, so and he, may I just point out that in the official photograph of your studio, there is a lovely bar cart. Oh yes, exactly. Yes, that's that. So that's how Chad Nodlin is paid, and he just had a he just had one just a week ago here. So Chad Nodlin gets paid in in, uh, in Manhattan. So we drink Manhattans in the winter, and in the summer we drink gin or vodka tonics. Love it. Um, but but um, we we had a Manhattan that day, and. Um, so Chad's in the car. I got my digital camera because I'm, I, 
you know, he captures, he's at all these large collaborations for me because I don't have time to sit there. I'm managing the wet play camera. I don't, you know, I'm, well, now I'm going to get out my digital phone. I don't have another digital camera. Right. I have no other digital. I don't have any other film cameras. I got them sitting on the wall here, but I've never put film in them. I don't know how to use them. So I have my iPhone to capture behind the scenes. But when I have Chad with me, there's a sense of relief because I know that if I capture a piece of history, especially if I'm going to get Greta Thunberg or like Mike Lalonde was there capturing digital photographs for me when Evander Holyfield walked through the door. If I have another photographer there to capture the making of, which I think is important. Sure. That takes that much pressure off of you. It takes all that off of me. So yeah, Chad, yeah. Okay, so Chad, 12.30, we're going down. Well, Shane, that's three and a half hours before you have to be there. Yep, we're, <laughs> we're going down at 12.30. I'm going to make a couple extra plates. My daughter's going with. I mean, I'm going to go see one of the most famous 16-year-olds in the world, correct? Sure. So why would I not take my 16-year-old? You know what I mean? It's like, Abby, jump in the car. You, I, I mean, I'm going to give you this opportunity. You're going to get to see Greta Thunberg. I mean, for the love of God, if my father could have put me in front of, you know what I mean? Um, someone back in the day. Sure. So she's coming with, and she's also made wet plates independently. So I, I, I do have another person that, I, you know what I mean? If shit hits the fan. Yeah. You've got I another set of eyes and another set of hands. And I got another set of hands. Yeah. And you know what yeah. I mean? Like you already got yourself into this 15 minute thing. Yeah. I mean, you, you idiot. You're a total moron. <laughs> Way to go, so, dumbass. <laughs> so yes, at 1250, 1230, we're in the car. I shit you not. I'm driving. We are no less than an hour away from Standing Rock. I mean, if I book it, it takes me an hour. Now, remember, I got everything in my car. The chemicals are clunking around. You can hear swishing of liquids and plates clanking together. Even though I got these plate holders, like it's all we're packed in. I got Chad and I next to me. Got my daughter in the back seat, and the car is just packed to the hilt with gear because I need everything I need. I need double of everything that I need. And I shit you not, we are three minutes into that drive to Standard Rock. It's going to be, we're going to get the early Abbey. I got a chair. You're going to sit on this chair. I'm going to take a, I'm going to see what the light's doing that day. I'm going to, I'm going to dial in. We're going to take a couple test plates. We're going to scout a location. We're going to, you know what I mean? I'm going to find a cool location for Greta. I'm going to take some test plates. So at least I know F8 three seconds. I, I mean, it's not a get. The phone rings. Guess what they tell me? Hit me. They tell me. Greta will be available for you in an hour and a half. <laughs> We're pushing it up over two hours. So all you hear is me say, okay, hang up the phone and you hear the gas pedal on the, on right, the car. Right, 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 right. Now we're like breaking the speed limit because every minute that I get down there is one more minute I have to do prepared. Sure. Now what's out the window? Test shots. I'm freaking standing in a field in daylight with clouds and I have no idea what the UV is going to do this day. I don't know what environment I have. I, I got to throw out my test shots. So no test shots of Abby that's out the window immediately scouting a location. Well, how much time can I go freaking drive around down there and find the perfect tree? I had no time. So we pull up to that, the, the casino and there was like this little place I could park my car and there was this conifer or this, this <laughs> boot spruce. And it's like, Shit. There's your set. That's where we're going. We're going into this. And I, I looked around. I'm like, okay, no phone lines, right? There's no telephone lines. There's nothing. There's no power out. You know, there's no there's no electrical utility things. I and I knew I, I knew I wanted close up if that's all I had, and that's what they told me all I'd get. And then I had a, a dramatic one where I wanted Greta in the nature, and I just didn't want her. You know what I mean? Like Greta, I wanted her at Standing Rock. And if right. you understand what Standing Rock. We gave Standing Rock the reservation to the tribes for a reason because it's flat and the earth isn't the greatest. And I mean, um, not, not to knock that land, but I mean, 
it's gorgeous. It, it's for what it is. But understand when you stand in, you know, I was down there shooting the buffalo down in Standing Rock, and I and, and I'm, I'm apologizing now to all my friends that live down in Standing Rock if I'm if I'm if I'm upsetting you by saying that. My 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 the point I'm trying to make is that the reservations that us this government our, our government you know years and years ago hundreds and 150 years ago chose for these reservations this was not the fertile napa valley right right this right right not, this was not where the gold was found right in fact we gave them actually the black hills right that was part of the treaty and then when we found gold guess what we did we took it away okay and then we also we also sculpted mount rushmore on the side of their sacred hill right my point being is that to me, Standing Rock in the plains of North Dakota means flat. You know what I mean? Like flat. Right. And that's what I want. So from that vantage point, I got a conifer on my left and I look out and I can see the rolling hills a little bit and I can see that's my nature. This isn't going to be a jungle scene, right? I'm right. not going right. to. There there's not a lot of trees in North Dakota. So that's what I mean about the Standing Rock shot. So, it, But it was important for me. And you'll see that on every print that I've done and even these installations that have gone up about Greta. It always says Greta Thunberg standing for us all with Greta Thunberg at Standing Rock. Right. And that's it will always say that because I have to. And it's my way of thanking, again, Jen Jewett and the Standing Rock people for saying, hey, Greta could have spent another 15 minutes with the students of Standing Rock. But guess what? We're going to give our friend and brother Shane 15 minutes of our time with this fabulous lady to do what he needs to do. Right. And that's why I'm putting that big mural down there at the City Bowl College. I mean, and and I think the photo is is stronger for it. I think it's stronger for the lack of any sort of detail in the topography because she gets to be front and center in that space. Exactly. And I can talk about that, too. So I had that. They said you get one portrait. So it's like, OK, put the chair in the fern because I wanted a little bit of nature. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm, you know what I mean? I just don't want her against a white blue, blue sky, which is just a white backdrop. There's right. nothing there. Right? right. So I knew that, OK, I only get one. So I'm going to push this chair and, and tell me Greta, my depth of field is so shallow that I had to push Greta's. You know, there's branches and thorn and not thorns, but um you know, there's uh, the, the the fern was touching her. The, the the blue spruce was sticking her in the back. I had her that pushed back. And mm. if you look at that portrait, you can feel kind of Mother Nature, but it's not like you can see, oh, that's a conifer behind her. Do you know what I mean? Right. Um, so I got that portrait of her. And there's a there's a great picture Chad captured of everyone in the photograph. There's like 12 people, including myself and Greta and her dad and the and the photographer that they brought. Um, everyone has a smile. And Greta's to my left. She's watching this plate appear. Her dad's to my right. And as it appears, all I hear is a collective, whoa. Hmm. Okay. And I look up at her dad and this is my chance, right? Savante. And by the way, Savante just text messaged me two days ago and thanked me again for all that I'm doing. He's seen that, um, you know, seen that the, the plates have been at the, uh, you know, is in the Nordiska Museum in, in her home country and is at the Library of Congress. So he thanked me again the other day. So I'm in, still in contact with these people, which is just absolutely fabulous, right? So my 15 minutes, I still, months later, there's still, I, I can still talk to Savante and Greta. It's just, it's really cool. I looked up at Savante and I said, can we do one more? And he looked down at me and he said, absolutely. So nice. there was my second chance. So my 15 minutes got pushed into 20 minutes. <laughs> nice. So there it was like, okay, now I get to do my artistic piece. Cause I knew what I had in the can. Like in front of me, I have Greta. 
it, you know, it's her likeness. It's right. a good picture. There wasn't any like nuance. In, and I, to, to, for your listeners too, we should describe that sometimes these nuances can get kind of crazy. Like there could have been a big slash across her face and totally ruined the photograph. Sure. It was a, it was a rather, rather clean plate for being in the middle of nowhere, you know, you know, working out of a dark room, um, in the back of a, a vehicle. Right. So, so you got so what you was, needed and now you had the chance so to get what you I wanted. Play. Yeah. And my yeah, idea yeah. for that standing for us all, and that, that, that and you gotta be, we gotta be honest to the work is that's the plate that was really the plate that, you know, that took off. Like that's right. Like 2 million. When, uh, when other time, and I'm not gloating here, but when other time have you seen a modern wet plate of any kind be viewed 2 million times? Yeah, I mean, sure. Sure. I mean, it's just, so we're looking at the most viewed modern day wet plate of all time with standing for us all. So my idea was get Greta in there and um, she still had to hold still for three seconds. I didn't have a head brace at all. So she's got to hold still in the wind. I mean, she's only, I don't know how much she weighs, but she's a little petite little thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, she's standing in a wind and I wanted to have her facing nature. So if you look the way she's looking, there's a, there's a negative space on the plate. And that's, that was where my window to Standing Rock was. Mm -hmm. And I wanted her looking towards that window to Standing Rock. And that was the only, the only time, you know, that was my only compositional changes. She, you'll see that um, in that shot. And I don't, is this interest you about the shot? Absolutely. Okay. So in the shot, you'll notice uh, she's got some necklaces on. Yep. Okay. And these necklaces were gifts that were given to her just a half hour previous by the students of Standing Rock. And she came to me and asked me, and she knew that I had had experience before. And she says, is it appropriate that I, I wear these, these gifts? And it was something that, you know, in the picture. And I gave her the answer that I've been given by many people that have come into my studio. Shane, it was a gift. If it's a gift, mm -hmm. you honor the person that gave it to you by wearing it. You're not, you're not um, stealing, stealing identities. You're not pretending to be Native American because you're wearing a Native American vest that was be given was given to you by someone. Do you know what I mean? Like you're honoring them. That was a gift to you. There's a you're not appropriating anything. But it was her you know it's funny that a girl of her age had that wherewithal, right? Mm -hmm. So and then the um the, obviously there was Native Americans there as well that said, no Greta, those were your gifts. You can wear them. She says, well I want to wear them for the picture. I said, well that's you know again collaborating, right? Yeah. I, I, sure. Know, Greta Greta, if you want to wear those, you know, you're wearing them. I don't, you know, I'll fight for that fact that you want, you want to wear them, you're wearing them. And then her sweater, she just kind of had it on and she just kind of like draped it over her back and let it hang off her arms. That was all her. That was mm. no, i never once went up to Greta and adjusted her clothes or anything. Right, right. So she was standing there and her pose that she picked, I said, well, just stand comfortable. She was on one foot, which... She was standing there with one foot with the other foot behind it. You know what I mean? Like how you can kind of perch yourself. You know sure. what I mean? Like sure, on sure, one sure. foot. She was, she was, she was on there. And I, you know, right away I thought, oh shit, okay. This is what she wants to do, right? Like she's standing here in a wind. Um, we have a three second exposure and this is my only second. And, and you want to be on one foot. Portrait. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you want to be on one foot. So I go back, pour the plate and this is like fast. So I'm back at her and I'm, I got the, I focused on her and she's still on one foot. I got her focused in the lens, lens caps closed. Plates loaded, so I have no opportunity yet to look at her anymore, right? I have no more. I can't look at the ground glass one more time. Right. And Greta says, shame, and my heart just sinks. Like, the last thing I want to do is- <laughs> I've changed Greta. my mind. <laughs> no, no, no. The <laughs> last thing I wanted to do for Greta was for her to say, and I mean, I, I, I adore her, and I, I, I love, the last thing you want to do right before the exposure is to hear your sitter say something to you. Right. Because something's not right. And what she had, and again, this goes to her, her maturity. 
she says, Shane, I said, what Greta? And I'm like, I, I, I had to say like, what Greta? I, yeah. I had to say it like that, right? <laughs> like Greta, she says, I can't hold still on one leg. And I'm like, you know, the plate's already drying. And I'm like, I said, okay, Greta, don't, you know, I don't know if I said, don't freak out. I said, it's no big deal. I try and at this point now I have to do damage control. Right. You just have, have to be reassuring. I have to reassure her yeah. that Greta, yeah. nothing, we can do this. Yeah. So I said, Greta, do me a favor. Now, remember, I'm already focused on her eyes, right? And I said, just take your leg, move it behind, behind you and put it on the ground and ground yourself. And she slowly, without moving in the wind, put her, put her leg down. And I said, blink for me. And she blinked for me. I said, blink for me. And she blinked for me. I said, one, two, three, go. 1,001, 1,002, 1,003. And I recapped the lens. And if she would have moved at all, and I'm telling you, you know, with that, sh that, that, that focus, if she would have moved at all. And, and, and someone even criticized me of that. I wish the focus would have been sharper. <laughs> like, 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 Sit down. <laughs> come, come on. Come on. Well, let, let me tell you a yeah. story. About, you know, an 80 pound, you know, right. 16 right. year old standing in a field with the wind blowing against her and an archaic 165 year old photographic process with a three second exposure. Let me, let me tell you how fraught. Yeah. Take, take your 5D Mark four and sit down. <laughs> so that, and, and it came out. So standing for us all was, I mean, and these are, and I, and I really, Jeffrey, and you know, this podcast and stuff, and you let me document some of these things. Um, like this way and, and tell these stories. I mean, these are, these are the things, you know what I mean? Like these are little stories behind the scenes. These are the little, these are the things that got me to the image. But, but like I said earlier, it doesn't matter. None of it matters. It's insignificant as shit. What matters is the image and the right. image is going to stand for it, you know, on its own. Right. And I hope it does. It may not, but I'm too close to my work to tell if my work is, is worthy or if it's good or I just, I'm too damn close. So I have to leave it up there. I have to leave it up to other people. What was the reaction from the Native American community to see this picture of this young white girl get all this attention? Well, they just, but they, they knew she was their ally. They mm -hmm. know, I mean, this wasn't, this, so I mean, they, they were, they were okay on. with her representing Ass. because they knew more eyes would get on it. Is that, is that well, kind of fair? It's not, it's not even that. It's not even about the eyes. It's the fact that they knew where she stood in, okay. in regards to the Dakota Access Pipeline and oil companies and, and fossil fuel. I mean, they, she's an ally. Yeah. She's coming down. I mean, there's one I mean, there's nothing wrong with allies. Right. You know what I mean? Like, we're allies. I'm an ally. Greta's an ally. So, I mean, she went to stand. Why do you, do you think Greta went to a standing rock because she didn't want to go? Right. She wanted to go to standing rock. She wanted to stand with the kids. She wanted to say, hey, the Dakota Access Pipeline, this sucked. This sucked what happened to you. Right. That hundreds of you were sent to the emergency room. It sucked to that uh, Fleury's White Bull, who I took a wet plate of, spent an evening in a dog kennel in mm. the basement of the sheriff's department mm. with a number written on her forearm. Did wow. Did you tell that story? No. Where have we seen that before? I don't know. Uh, that's can, no good. Can, like, like I said, these... Um, so I should tell it. I'm going to, can I tell it quickly? Please tell it. Don't, you don't even have to tell it quickly. Just tell it. I don't mean to Jeffrey. I'm not in a hurry, but I don't want to, I don't know if I'm jumping over around too much. No, you're good. Um, okay. So Fleurice. Rabbit White holes Bull. are where we live, Shane. Fleurice White Bull. Um, there's a documentary called Awake, A Dream from Standing Rock. Okay. I'm going to say it again, just so if anyone's listening, they want to watch it and I recommend they watch it. It's called Awake, colon, 
a dream from Standing Rock. And in the opening scene, you will see my wet plate of Florice Whitebill come up to life in the fixer. And then Florice is the, the narrator through the entire documentary. So it talks about her journey and what happened with the tear gas and all that at the Dakota Access Pipeline. So um, Florice is coming in. I had known that she was one of these water protectors. And on the back of her plate, it says no dapple. I, I made sure that that said that when I gave it over to the historians. <laughs> That's and, great. And Florice comes in as a complete stranger. And... Um, no reason to trust me. Right. I mean, you know, she knew, she knew about me and she had some friends and stuff, but I mean, I never met this young lady and she's right. coming into a back warehouse of a strange man and trusting him. So and this is, this is before you even had the studio. This is way back. This is back in the warehouse. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I mean, you, you can about imagine if Evander Holyfield, can you about imagine the, um, the studios that he's been in the ESPN right. photography. I mean, can you imagine yeah, I'm taking him into this? I mean, I could have, <laughs> You know, he, I could have been a mass murderer in that bag. I mean, that back warehouse. Yeah. I mean, kind of, you walk back there like, what, an, what are you going to do with me back here? Grab that roll of plastic on your way back, would you? Yeah. So, so, um, so, so comes in and says, I need a marker. I said, okay. I mean, you know, I said, what, okay, let me go grab what she says. I need a large Sharpie marker. No explanation. No explanation. Okay. So I, I get to go to my desk. I get a marker. Come and back, I, and I, said, I love well, Shane. I love that you just go with it. You're like, yeah. All right. Well, All right. Uh, hey, you asked me earlier how in the fuck I gained trust. I mean, what am I going to – no, you can't have a marker. Wait, wait, that, that's a silly idea. You know what I mean? Like, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. You're, you're coming in. You just walked into my warehouse, and you don't know me from Adam. Um, yeah, you need a marker. I don't, I don't know what you're doing with it, but um, you're going to do something with it, and if it's important to you, it's important to me. I think that's the story, right? Right, right. That's the story. So then I, and I, you know, I handed it to Mark. I said, well, can I ask you what you're going to do with it? Because I was curious, right? And um, she says, I have to write a number on my arm. And so then I became even more curious. I said, what do you mean a number on your arm, Florice? She says, well, when I was arrested down at the Dakota Access Pipeline and they, um, you know, they use those zip ties and they took me to the sheriff's department, they wrote on my arm in big letters this number. And I need to have it on me in this photograph. Wow. And she went on to explain. She says, it doesn't need to be seen, Shane. Um, it's more for me. I need to know it, it's there. Than it is for you or your photographic. By no yeah. means do you think that this has to show up. But I need to have this number on my, because I know, you know, I'm coming here as a water protector. Um, I know what you're doing. And I know that you're trying to document water protectors. And um, I want to, and, and um, I want, it needs to be on my arm. Wow. And I explained to her, it probably won't show up. She said, that's no problem. She said, I just need it. So she wrote this number on her forearm. And then she went on to explain to me when she was, they were arresting. And so they're arresting so many people down there. And these were, I mean, this wasn't like Fleurice was arrested for assault or arrested for vandalism, you know, throwing a Molotov cocktail out of sure, his car. Sure. You know, this was, this was just be arrested for being on a site. I mean, this was, she had, there was no crime. Right. And she, she was just there. This, this was fucking, let, let's talk about treaty. This was treaty land as well. Right. I mean, this is treaty land. I mean, they have a document that says that this is their land. I don't care whose land that presently owns it, but this is, she's standing on treaty land. So um, she says they were arresting. So it turns out that they're arresting so many people. And instead of just booking them, like I, I can understand, okay, you're going to arrest her and you're going to take her back to the shop. You're going to book her and then let her go. Right. Right. But they wanted to make a point. They wanted to incarcerate these people for mm -hmm, a certain mm -hmm. amount of time. So they, they wanted to humiliate them, didn't they? They wanted to, these were these were strip searches and yeah, everything. Yeah, they strip search for if I if the story is correct, they strip search the chief, one of wow. the chiefs when they, I mean, one of the elders. Wow, that was 
on site. Um, so, I mean, but it's all part of it, it. You know what I mean? It's all part of their process of getting an inmate or right. you know what I mean? Like right. a prisoner. It's that dehumanization it's process. Yeah. But, so then you have yeah. to ask yourself, should we be doing this? Right. Okay. Well, they decided that they're going to just continue to house these people and they were running out of room. So what they did is they went to like, they, they got dog kennels, you know, those eight foot dog kennels. Right. 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 The, like the wire, the wire cages. Yeah. 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 They set them up in the, in the parking structure underneath the sheriff's department. Mm. And that's where Florice Whiteboat spent an evening wow. in a dog kennel with a number written on her forearm. Wow. Now, if that doesn't fucking piss off your listeners, I don't, I don't know what would. Right. So, um, so we did the portrait of Florice and, um, she's been my friend ever since. Um, and that, that portrait, uh, you know, made it into the documentary. The director calls me. He says, Shane, I just want to call you. He says, I'm the name awake. In the title of, I didn't have a name for the film. We had it, he had it in the can and everything. Didn't really finalize the name. And he says, the name Awake. I saw your picture of Fleurice come to life. And I, can I use it in the film? I said, absolutely. And he says, the word Awake in the title of this film is because of your work. Because I felt an awakening when I saw Fleurice's picture come to, get, come to, come to life in your fixer. Wow. So it's a, it's a very, it's a very, very, wow. um, it's a very dramatic. Um, it's an upsetting documentary. Um, you know what I mean? Like people can get, you know, depending on how, how you feel. I mean, you can, you can leave that. You can, you can break down crying watching this film. So, um, but it, that's my story, Florice. And, um, so she's been in, I've, I've shot three of her children, I want to say, and, um, you know, her partner and, and I've captured her more than once. And, um, she's just a fabulous woman. And, and, and it was also that, that one little experience, um, so from that day. So these friendships and these, this trust stuff, it continues on, mm-hmm. it continues on into the future. It's not like, Oh, she came in and I've never seen her again. Right. That's right. That's, that, that's not these relationships. That's not these relationships that are being founded. I mean, I got complete strangers and we're not just take out of the realm, the native American community. I got just complete strangers that come into my studio. Um, I mean, they become lifelong friends. Right. So and you and never, that, you never could have seen that coming. No, no, no. And, and here's another thing I want to ask you is how many times have you seen to, I, I've taken, I've got 10,400 digital photographs on my camera. Okay. On my, dig, on my, on my phone. Okay. My only digital <laughs> minus the 2,400 or whatever that Apple lost. Yeah, it was 4,200. 4, <laughs> 4, whatever it was. <laughs> Fucking Apple. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> hey, trust the cloud. <laughs> trust the cloud. That, that is freaking. that is as good as a print. Um, I always tell the students, I, I'm getting sidetracked, but I always tell the students, how many pictures are on your phone? And they'll say about 4,000. I said, if we weighed that phone, with the pictures on it, let's say it weighs a pound exactly. We got a scientific uh, scale out and it weighed a pound exactly. And if we deleted your 4,000 photographs, <laughs> how much is that phone going to weigh when it's done? <laughs> and the answer is a pound. What are you and tormenting then, these children for, Shane? And then I tell them, I said, <laughs> so what does that tell you logically? These poor kids you, are just documenting their lives. Like, like, yeah, I said, like, that tells you that your, 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 your images on your phone, they don't exist. Because if I take 4,000 of my plates or 4,000 prints, even paper prints that I do from my work, there's going to be something there. So I got off track. I got off track. 
Um, so what a shock. <laughs> so here, there again is my slant towards, and, and I've done a TEDx talk, if anyone's interested, I've done a TEDx talk about this specific problem, about how it's a two-pronged approach where the hardware is going to let you down, that your photos aren't going to be here in your zeros and ones 50 years from now. And 50 years is not a long time. And the hardware and the software is going to let you down. So um, that's uh, that. That's just that's the facts. So you got to help me, Jeffrey. Where was I at my train of thought before I fell? <laughs> we were um, talking about how all of this has resulted in oh, incredibly lasting. Well, no, but, but so, so I've taken 10,400 photographs with my phone and I've never had anyone. I, I've shared it. And I'll show it to you. Like I take your picture and here's my picture. Right. Never once has anyone ever broke down and cried. Looking okay? at your phone. Like, Looking at my phone, never right, once. Right, right, right. And I and I can assume that I could blow, take that and blow that picture up ten feet across and eight feet tall. And I and I still I'm not going to elicit tears. I'm not I'm not over exaggerating. On a monthly basis, complete strangers, yeah, are crying in my dark room where I have to have a box of tissues, right? Where they see their portrait come to life. And this isn't about, and Jeffrey, I, I want to say this isn't, um, I hope this isn't sounding like um, something about me, like I'm doing something. No, no, no. It's, 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 it's not about my, it's not about, oh, you make the, I make the greatest photographs. Right, 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 right. It's there, not, there I, is something about the process. I have to give all the credit to the process. Yeah, yeah. All of it. It's nothing yeah. to do with my skill level. No, I agree. I, I, I know, I, I have not done wet plate, but. but people cry. I started in, in film. see pictures nowadays and cry. Yeah, yeah. There is, something, all the time. there is something alchemaic about seeing an image fade up on a piece of paper or a piece of glass or a piece of tin. Negative or whatever it is. Whatever it is. And, and you can know the science. You can know the chemistry. You can know the physics. It doesn't matter. It goes out the window when you see something come out of nothing. Yeah. And, and there's no can, – can you imagine uh, the Native American community um, when they um, – you know, when they saw, uh, you know, Goff would come in or something like that and take a picture of the chief. Right. And he would go away. And, uh, you know, that's why they got this, the, the, you know, you can't leave because you're taking, how can my chief still be here, but you have that image of my right. chief. Right, right, you're, right. You're driving away in the sunset um, with the car, you know, with, with that plate. So that's where they got this whole, this whole, um, this whole shadow catcher thing from. Right. So I want to do a quote. I want to, can I read a quote? Please. No, no, Shane, 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 no, yeah, yeah. an hour and a half in, you cannot read a quote. <laughs> oh shit. We're at an hour and a half. Right? Oh, I told you, <laughs> I hope, I don't know how much hard drive space you got. But anyway. Hey, it's all in the cloud. <laughs> it's all in the cloud. So we, we have endless space. We can keep going. A month. You can fucking send me as many fucking photographs as you want. You're never going to run out of disk space and it'll always be there. <laughs> Ready for my quote? I'm ready. Hit me. Quote, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Absolutely. Arthur C. Clarke. Arthur C. Clarke. Yeah, absolutely. So you can about imagine is I would, you would be, how can this process in this day and age, the process that I show and everyone that comes in, nobody gets their portrait taken without me showing them the process from step one. It's not like, oh, sit down. I'll come out and bring the plate out to you. Everyone goes through this. I'm, I'm constantly training, teaching, because I think those images have so much more value sure. um, to the people at that point. Um, every person is taught. And how do, uh, you know, how do these images, uh, people are just, you show them the images, show them the process. And 
it's it's magic in today's age, in today's uh, modern age. You know, with all the fabulous things we have, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like all the technologies we have, this process, how can it still be magical? Right. Right. You would think if you're oh fuck, I mean, we got look at you know, you don't you didn't see that video that we have, and we got that high def, you know, <laughs> that, and we got this, and we got that. It's not well, 8K. I, it's not 8K. I, yeah, like how could I possibly be? How could I possibly be impressed? Well, in who 165 years old from the, from the the birth of the process? But we are. Remind me who was who was the sitter? Uh, was one of your Native American friends in the film that really? kind of struggled with allowing his portrait to be made, like to the that was, point- That was Dakota Goodhouse. Yeah. Remember, Dakota was the, my second Native American yeah. portrait. Said he wanted to break the plate because he just yeah. didn't know how he felt about it. And he's he's a um, he's a professor. So, and he's also a historian. He's mm-hmm. got a, mm-hmm. uh, um, The Scout is the name of his blog. Um, and, uh, and he's um, fabulous. He teaches out at United Tribes. So he knows the history, you know what I mean? And he knows he's been in my studio. Now, if he's seen me do this, this magical kind of thing, um, plenty of times, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he, he's been around it and he's still like, it bothers him. It bothers him. And he's, I mean, he's very, very educated, uh, um, thoughtful, just fabulous man. And, and he, you know, when he said that in the documentary, um, that he had this urge. Mm-hmm. I mean, I could feel that. I could feel that um, on that day that he he had this urge to uh, to break that glass because he just wanted to free himself. Right, right. But it does. It it's still all of this, and I, I I'll labor it again. But it it comes back to trust. There is this sense of of safety and and respect and trust that you have and seem to always cultivate with the people you collaborate with, whether that's other artists, other craftsmen, or your sitters? You just have to have an open heart. If, and if you have an open heart, you don't ask what's it in, what's in it for me. If those are two things that's not, you know, aren't part of the equation at that point, when, when you decide to do this with other people, um, I don't see how you could go wrong. How can you go wrong with that? And what, what more do you want? Do you know what I mean? And if someone says at the end of the day, when I, upon my death, that he was too generous, well, thank you. Right. Thank you. I mean, what a compliment, right? There's no such thing as being too generous. How can you be too generous at anything in your life or to anyone in your life? There's no such thing. So let's, let's abandon those thoughts and let's just see. Let's see how generous we actually can be, is what I say. Why don't you test that? You know, test that. Why don't you see how generous you can be? I love that we were able to go full circle and bring it back to gratitude and generosity. If you'd like to see some of Shane's work, visit SharonCall.Balkowicz.com slash wetplate.htm. It's kind of a long URL, but you'll find the link in the show notes. You can also connect with Shane on Instagram and Facebook at Balkowicz. That's B-A-L-K-O-W-I-T-S-C-H. Also in the show notes, you'll find links to his book, Northern Plains Native Americans, A Modern Wet Plate Perspective, and his Amazon Prime documentary, simply titled Balkowicz. Subscribe to Process Driven in your favorite podcast app. Or if you'd like to get every episode of Process Driven, along with my other shows in between and iterations, subscribe to Jeffrey Sidoris Everything. 
If you're enjoying the show, you can help others find it by leaving a review or a rating wherever you listen or by sharing it on social media. You can connect with me on Instagram and Twitter at Jeffrey Sedoris. That's J-E-F-F-E-R-Y-S-A-D-D-O-R-I-S or on my website at jeffreysedoris.com. You can also email me at talkback at jeffreysedoris.com. If you've got an interesting story or just want to say hi, I'd love to hear from you. As always, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for being here. I appreciate your time and I'll talk to you on the next one.